Well, I hope you had a chance to do some review, and I hope that this is challenging your thinking. Um, wanted to jump to where we were from last night, but I just wanted to do just a quick review. So if maybe in your notes you would go back, we're not going to read every little item, but I just want to kind of set us up a little bit just to remind us a little bit. Um, can you guys tell me the two things that God is doing? And... Okay, just wanted to see if you still got that, all right? And what is he using the church? What two things is he using the church through and to do what? And why does he use us through evangelism? It's through evangelism that he saves souls. It's through discipleship that he is. Okay, what are our objectives in counseling? We only have three. Can someone tell me what they are? See, if you were in a quiz, you'd be in trouble. What is the first objective? Salvation, Salvation right? What are the two other objectives? All right, very good, very good. Now, we talked about the categories. I don't have to know all the details, but can you give me a hint by using a certain letter of the categories? C, C what? And, 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 and. Now you're ready for me to supervise you. You're good to go, okay? This is what I do with my trainees because if I can help them to think this way, when it's time for them to actually do counseling, they start to get these things in their head, and then when we start reviewing their counseling sessions, we're talking in a lingo, and we can get things done. You're telling me a C1, C2, you're telling me, you know, does that make sense to you? So, again, just wanted to kind of do a quick overview. Now, let's talk about the nitty-gritty, the six phases of change. What's step one? Step two. Step three. Step four. Step five. Step six. Does that ever change? No pun intended. (laughs) So if anyone that is a Christian is going to change, they will go through those six phases. Now, can you tell me the four stages? They are and, and, and. Now, in the teaching stage, what phase will I see? Very good. In the conviction stage, what phase will I see? And realization. All right, keep that in mind. You'll see both and. In the correction stage, what phases will I see? And in the training stage, what phases will I see? Very good. You guys all get an A on your quiz, all right? Now, what I want to do is I want to skip past the concepts, and either we will catch that at the end of this session or we'll start it at the next section. I want to talk about homework, and I want to help you to connect the phases and the stages to homework, okay? And I want us to take some time this hour and break that down specifically because I have discovered with counselors, the toughest and the weakest place of most counselors is homework. And so they've got good information in the session, but they give weak homework. And the homework is weak because they're not connecting the homework to the place of the individual. Does that make sense? So if I am in the teaching stage in my counseling process, but you're giving me homework for replacing or changing or whatever it may be, there's a a misconnection there, and you're going to be frustrated. The counselee is going to be frustrated because you're not tracking with them according to where they are. So our challenge today is to look at these categories of homework, and as you look at these categories, uh, we'll begin to see how we take these categories and connect them to the phases and stages of where people are. And as we do this, my challenge to you is to begin to think about, okay, when I'm working with this counselee, where are they? Okay, is this a C2 issue? Am I dealing with a communication issue? Am I dealing with thoughts, motives, desires, C1? Am I dealing with behavior issues? Okay, where are they in the context of this issue? Are they in the teaching stage? Are they in the conviction stage? Are they in the correction? Okay, I believe this person's in the teaching stage. Well, if they're in the teaching stage with this C3 or whatever issue it is, then my objective is to move them to the conviction stage. What homework will I use 
to lead them to that stage, and how will I orchestrate that over the next seven days, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my goal is to try to encourage you to begin to think in that manner so you can become more precise in what you give people for change. So let's look at these categories of homework. By the way, these categories were gleaned from instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And what I did was I read through uh, the types of homework that you would give, and I began to put my own labels to that kind of homework. So again, some of this you will find in instruments in the Redeemer's hands. So let's take a look at categories of homework together. And the first category of homework we want to talk about, well, let me just read it so we can be appropriate. Letter K, there are six key categories of homework that can be given to guide counselees into the process of change according to each phase and stage. This is to lead them into escaping the corruption of their flesh, the world, and the devil unto spiritual maturity in Christ. So, I want to propose to you that as you are counseling and you learn where a person is, that the homework you give is crucial to the process of change. And I want us to evaluate each kind of homework, and then I want to give you examples of each kind of homework so that you can begin to think through how you will implement this within the context of your own training and in the context of those you counsel. Let's look at the first category of homework that we see on your notes. Again, we skipped uh, the other letter and we've jumped straight to K. We're going to come back to concepts at a later time, okay? So number one, we have hope homework. Now, notice what hope homework is. Projects, activities, reading assignments. Before you go any further, do you see the combination what three things do you see? And, and what did I not just talk about? You see where I'm going. It's more than just them learning some more information. It's some type of project activity. We want people to be doers of the word, not merely hearers only. So we want to emphasize that James perspective. Projects, activities, reading assignments given to help people gain a true hope in Christ according accordance to the problems they're facing. This can be used in all phases or stages of counseling. But I want to encourage you that the best time to give hope homework is when a person is in the conviction stage. Let me explain why. When you're in the conviction stage, what two things have happened? There's realization and what? Remorse. You are broken. You are at the place where you see how bad you are, how good God is. You see the distance and damage in your relationship with you and God, your relationship with others. You are broken. There's godly sorrow. You're ready to make things right, but you're broken. What better time to give hope than when a person is broken versus getting right into what they need to do? Now, let me give you some ideas of what hope homework could be like. One of the hope homework assignments that I would give a person is simply this. And this is where you, counselor, you do the homework. Look at Bible passages for New Testament saints that deal with hope. And as you look at the Bible passages for New Testament saints that deal with hope, categorize those passages into temporal promises and into eternal promises. Does that make sense? Now, you have to do the homework because a lot of times your counselees may not understand that. Take Old Testament promises that can apply to both the New Testament saint and to the Israelites and begin to categorize those as well. Now, if you do that, you're helping them because what happens sometimes? Sometimes you have a person that will take a promise that was specifically for Israel and think that that applies to them and then get frustrated with God because they're not seeing the fruition of it. But it's bad theology because they haven't done the proper interpretation or the proper hermeneutic. You're going to kill all of that. And so for you, you take those promises and then what you have them do is you say, okay, I want you to go through this list. I want you to read these passages and categorize between what's temporal and eternal and then write down which ones apply to you at this time in your life. Okay? That's one way to do a hope homework assignment. Another way to do a hope homework assignment would be something like this. I want you to look at your life over the last five years. And I want you to categorize for me all the things that God has provided for you all the trials and tribulations that he's delivered you from and all the things that he protected you from. And let's just make a list of those things. 
And here's what I want you to do. I want you to get some stones, some big stones or some bricks. And I want you to put colors on the stones or bricks. You know, this is for, you know, how God blessed me in the color blue. This is for God delivered me from the color green. This is what God protected me from the color yellow, whatever it is. And paint these stones and get some laminated cards and put times and dates on these laminated index cards of what God did and the day he did it. Okay, and as you have these different color stones or bricks somewhere in your house or somewhere in the backyard, I want you to have a walk of memorial. And whenever you find yourself doubting or questioning if God cares for you or if God loves you, I want you to do a walk of memorial. And I want you to go back and start to pick up those stones and bricks and what's laminated on there. In 1976, God did this, this, and this. In 1982, God did this, this, and this. What do you think that may do for that individual as they start to go down that walk? To help them build what? Hope. You get my picture. So notice we're trying to do practical things that can help the person have hope. But now where you have to do the homework, you have to get the passages that are biblically appropriate because not all of your particular counselees will have enough theology to know the distinctions. Help them in the process. So that's an idea of hope homework. Okay, does everybody follow the logic there? And so again, there are many things you can do. The goal is where the Bible talks about hope, how can you get creative in helping the person to learn it and embrace it as a homework assignment? Now, here's a second category of homework I want us to talk about, and that is doctrinal homework. Projects, activities, and reading assignments given to help people gain a solid theological understanding of their problems so that they can deal with them properly. This is used to lead people into the teaching stage. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. When you use doctrinal homework, here's what you're saying. This person has no realization of what's going on. They know nothing. They don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm I'm sharing these things in the counseling session. They have no clue. So we can't talk about change until there's a realization. So I need to give them homework that will help them understand the context of what I'm talking about. So that might be a pamphlet that talks about how God sees marriage or, you know, the theology of suffering or something or passages of scripture that articulates or some workbook that articulates the particular topic that you're trying to discuss with this person. Because at this point... You're trying to lead them to the teaching stage. They have no idea of what's going on. Does that make sense? And so this is where the glorified Bible studies kick in. This is where you load them up with Bible studies and things to read and things to study and learn because they do not have realization. And so for you, if we were in a training and you said to me, hey, doc, they know nothing. I said, so then what stage are they in? Well, they're not in any stage. So that means you're trying to lead them to the teaching stage. Yes. So then what homework do they need? They need doctrinal homework. Okay, give me the area that they're working with. Well, they don't really understand a biblical view of marriage. Great. Well, what are all the resources that you think we could give them that they could begin to read to get this realization? Let's talk about what you have. Let's talk about what's available. Let's talk about what's free, what's online, what blogs, you know, what pamphlets, what books. Where do we start them so that we can lead them into realization? Does everybody follow where we're going? Because what would be the point of trying to get them to change if they have no clue of what we're talking about? You follow where I'm going here? So that's what we do with doctrinal homework. Now, I'd like you to put 20 stars by the third category of homework. If you could put 40 stars, put 40 stars there, okay? This is where you're going to spend a lot of time if you really think this through. And we're going to talk about this awareness homework. I'm going to read it in a moment, but here is where there's the disconnect with a lot of counseling. We assume that knowledge means conviction. Does that make sense? So because someone knows something theologically, we assume that they are convicted by what they know, excuse me, and are ready to change. And so we move on to try to get them to do the homework and to make changes And they are not doing the homework. They're not following through on the assignments. We go, well, wait a minute. Maybe I need to reteach this information again. So you go back in and you say, well, 
<clears throat> did you remember what we talked about last week? Yes, I understand what you said. And so why didn't you do the homework? Well, blah, 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 blah. So do you understand? Yes. Well, obviously you didn't understand because you didn't do the homework. No, they understood. There's no conviction. Does that make sense? And so <clears throat> we get frustrated and, and we start thinking, what am I doing wrong? You're not doing anything wrong. They are not in the conviction stage. There's no remorse. They just may have realization or understanding. So now what you're discovering is, oh, this person is not broken. They do not see their sin in the context of this truth. They have exposition of the scripture, but they lack exposition of their hearts in connection with the scripture. Does everybody follow the logic? So now we've got to back up because we can't really move forward until there's brokenness. So let's read this awareness and talk about what it looks like. Projects, activities, and reading assignments given to help people become aware of their own sinfulness and the problem so they can stop deceiving themselves. Oh, thank you, brother. How much do I owe you? <laughs> so that they can stop deceiving themselves about the problem they are facing <clears throat> Excuse me, and own up to it accordingly. Used to lead people into the conviction stage of spiritual growth. So let's talk about what that looks like. Let's take the man last night just as an example. He understood husbands <clears throat> love your wives in an understanding way. He got the picture of that and he knew it intellectually. What he did not understand was his lack of application to what he knew. Now, with married couples sometimes, that works out in a practical way. Married couples talk about how much they love their spouses, okay? What they don't understand is where they're lacking love for their spouse. And so when you start to hone in on where a person is lacking love for their spouse, they get defensive and say, you can't tell me I don't love my spouse. I'm not telling you you don't love your spouse. I'm trying to show you where there's a lack of love for your spouse. So obviously, you have a misunderstanding of what biblical love is. Okay? You may be kind, but you're not patient. Okay? Uh, you may be, um, what is it, not seeking your own, but man, you're easily provoked. So there are areas, when we start to talk about love, that you're lacking. So here is where the awareness work kicks in. The awareness work is... Let's help you to see within the context of this situation where you lack. Now, here's where you help people practically. People with knowledge, if you want to help them see themselves, talk application. See, I work with Bible college students all the time. They always think they're smarter than a professor, right? And they always want to see if they can outdo me. And so I'll do a simple thing. They'll, well, you know, prof, actually, you know, I've just checked Google and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay. Well, actually, prof, you know, so-and-so says da-da-da-da-da-da. I go, wonderful. Here's my question for you. And what you've just said to me, can you give me specifics and ways that you've been applying that over the last seven days? Can you show me specifically what you've done to make that a reality in the context of your life based upon our discussion? Hello? You can't Google that, huh, can you? You get my point? See, we're so smart that we're missing the concept. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It makes no difference how much you know if you're not applying it to your life. It's like taking gasoline, which is meant for the car, going and paying for the gasoline, and then just pouring it out on the ground. Gasoline was more than just to have, it was to be used to fuel the engine so that you can move forward with the car. Knowledge was more than just to let you know it was meant to be the fuel of your obedience. And so what we're doing with awareness is we're trying to help people see here is a concept that you understand. You get it. But let's look at your heart and where you're lacking in the application to this concept so we can help you grow and change. And until you see the connection between your lack and your knowledge, you will think that you're okay. Write this down somewhere if you can, okay? And you can tell people you thought of this, okay? Your resume of righteousness will blind you to the wickedness of your heart. 
Your resume of righteousness will blind you to the wickedness of your heart. If you have been a Christian for a long time, sometimes you look at what you're doing well as a blinder to where you're failing from the heart to your actions. And when someone tries to confront you about the areas where you are wicked, you will immediately talk about the areas where you're walking rightly as if that's a cover for where you're failing. Awareness homework is getting beyond all of that to say, listen, we are all a work in progress. And if everything was going well, you would not be sitting here and counseling with me. My job is to help you to see not just what this text says, but where you are lacking in what this text says so that conviction can happen so that the process of change can begin. You will spend a lot of time with people here because until a person is truly broken, until they're aware, no real genuine change is going to take place. Does that make sense to you? So some of the things I do with awareness homework, I love log lists. I love journals. I love ways to challenge people. How have you applied this within the last seven days? And to get them to think about it and process it. Go back and talk to so-and-so. Go back and do this. Read this. Anything that you can give people where they have to have a discussion to evaluate themselves within the context of what they know, that is a tool to bring awareness. So an example may be something like this. You may have the person go home and read where the Bible says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Okay? We all know that verse left and right, right? And some of you can quote it. Some of you can give me the, uh, the Greek context. You can give me the construct. Some of you got real deep with it, right? But questions like this would be this. Identify the last four trials of your life. Within the last four trials of your life, can you identify what God exposed about your character, your conduct, your conversations within these last four or five trials? Based upon what God has exposed, what is it that you needed to change according to what was revealed? How have you been working on change in that particular area? What specific things have you done within the last seven days that exposes that you heard what God said according to the text and you're applying it in the context of your life? Who could I talk to that will affirm what you just said? Now, what do you think will happen with you if you start doing that? You get my point? That is what we call awareness homework. It's not reteaching the passage. It's trying to help you to connect your heart to the reality of the passage. So that you walk away saying, you know what? I really have not been counting it all joy as it relates to trials. And I know that verse, but I really have not been living that verse because I keep doing the same thing I've been doing, even though I know this truth. Praise the Lord. Now we can get busy because now you see you're not that great Christian you thought you were. But now we can help you to become what God wants you to be. And you can rejoice because God loves you. And you can stop trying to perform and start becoming through the power of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? But until we have this, and you're going to spend a lot of time here, so my challenge to you is to think about awareness homework. Never assume because someone understands the passage that they are convicted by what they understand and they're making changes. When you do that, your counseling fails because you're assuming that knowledge means obedience. How many of you know a lot of things? Be honest. You're pretty smart, right? Now, how many of you are doing everything that you know? So we have to quit stopping the, uh, we have to stop the lie to know better is to do better. That's a lie. Because to know better doesn't always mean to do better. Because there are a lot of things you know you won't do because it doesn't fit what you want. God wants you to do it, but you don't want to do it because you don't want what God wants in your life in that area. Which is why you keep having a crisis of belief. And you're mad at God because God is supposed to adjust his agenda to yours. But you forgot God saved you to bring glory to him, not the other way around. And until that's a realization of your soul in particular areas of your life, you go on thinking things are okay. Give an example. If we take the prodigal son, which is what we focus on a lot, the prodigal son. 
if we look at the context of the passage, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. So the real emphasis is not really on the prodigal son. The real emphasis should be on the son that stayed. You see where I'm going? If we understand who Jesus was talking to. See, the prodigal son was more about the Gentiles. But he was really trying to tell the Pharisees about their attitude based upon the self-righteous son who was upset because of how the father responded. Does that make sense? But let me give you a little secret about both the prodigal and the son that stayed. The prodigal was self-indulgent. Would you agree with me? But the son that stayed was self-righteous. Would you agree with me? God is not happy with either. Because whether you're self-indulgent or self-righteous, that's all self-centeredness. That's the big picture. So the Pharisees are no greater than the self-indulgent ones because it's all about me. And what we have to help people understand, whether they're self-indulgent or self-righteous, you're all just self-centered. And God is trying to unfold to you in this passage, not how well you know this, but how much you lack living this. I called you to be a doer, not a hearer. And in this area of life, you may know it well, but your lifestyle and your knowledge don't connect. Awareness homework is trying to bridge the gap. So when you're doing awareness homework, that person is in the realization phase or what we call the teaching stage and they lack conviction. And you're trying to get them to read, to see where do I lack, log lists, journals, uh, any discussion questions. Again, these are just various ways to draw people out to see themselves. I want to encourage you. Whatever issue you believe the person is is working on to begin to think about, are there workbooks that have discussion questions? Are there uh, long lists of journals? Or maybe I need to create some so that with this issue, we can lead the person to genuine awareness in hopes that there will be genuine conviction, the biblical term godly sorrow. Okay? So notice what we're doing here. The homework, we're trying to connect to the agenda. So awareness, when I'm giving a person awareness homework, where am I trying to lead them to? Conviction. Okay. So if I'm leading them to conviction, what phase is that? What is it? Remorse. Godly sorrow. Okay, keep that in mind. If I'm doing awareness homework, this person has no remorse. They may have knowledge, but they're not broken. And so the goal is to bring them to remorse or to conviction. Okay, does everybody catch that so far? So the key is the homework must be connected to where you're trying to take the individual or you're going to waste a lot of time with frivolous unproductive homework assignments that are not connected to where the person is. Okay. All right. Before we go any further, take about two or three minutes, turn to the person next to you, do a quick review of hope, homework, doctrinal homework, awareness, homework, and then we'll come back and we'll look at a few more as we build our process. Okay. Take a few moments.
Okay, everybody. Let me give you a, a practical thing to think about with this homework structure. Is, by the way, is this making sense to you? Okay, so you see where we're going. Is it logical? Is it practical? That's our agenda. Okay, that's my agenda for you. I want to be logical and practical so you can be thinking, all right, when I'm counseling someone, I need to be thinking about these particulars and be a little bit more precise and specific with the quality of homework that I'm giving because it needs to match where the person is. Now, I want to show you something that you can think about. When we talked about, go back for just a moment to page two and look at the stages for a moment with me. And I want you to think about this. The teaching stage and conviction stage are kind of fluid. They go together. The correction and training stage go together. The hardest time you're going to have with your counselee is between teaching and conviction. Once they move beyond teaching and conviction... It gets easier because correction and training, they're willing and ready to follow what you ask them to do. You just have to be clear in what you want them to do to change. Does that make sense? So the hardest part in counseling is between teaching and conviction. So if you notice those first three categories of homework, you will spend a lot of time in those first three categories. Okay, because where your people are a lot of times, they may understand it or they think they understand it, but they really don't understand. So you got to give a lot more doctrinal homework because they really don't see it or they really, really see it, but they really don't see it. You got it? Intellectually, they understand the concept, but they have no awareness of how short they fall in their application and the condition of their heart. So you've got to spend a lot of time with your counselee between the teaching and conviction stage, okay? So the first three categories of homework are tied to you helping people through the teaching and conviction stage. Does that make sense? Now, what we're going to talk about in a moment here, the last three categories of homework are tied to the correction and training stage. And so those two things kind of go hand in hand. Teaching and conviction, correction and training. You will struggle with your counselee between teaching and conviction because most people confuse knowledge with maturity. And most people confuse awareness of a truth with applying the truth and they're in the counseling session because there's a disconnect between what they know and how they live but they don't know that they came to you because they wanted you to fix this person and change this circumstance but they don't understand that God is using the person and circumstance to help them change And so you're already starting out on a bad foot because now they think you're insensitive and don't care because you're not fixing the person and circumstance in their life. But you're going to help them to see that God is using the people and circumstances to unfold some things that they need to change. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I wanted you to make that connection. So go back to the homework for a moment. So teaching and conviction, you will discover, falls between hope, doctrinal, and awareness. So as you're dealing with people, you'll discover you must really beef up the kind of quality of homework you give there, specifically in awareness. If you could put 80 stars by awareness, it would be helpful, okay? You've got to spend a lot of time with helping people to see themselves in the context of what they understand. I can't stress that enough as a pastor, as a counselor, as a teacher, because I have so many people who know a lot of stuff, okay? I mean, they know more than I'll ever know, but they're not living most of it, which is why their lives are corrupt. Their hearts and their knowledge don't connect. I keep repeating that because I want you to catch that awareness homework is crucial. When a person is broken, the rest is easy. Does that make sense? Because they're ready to do whatever you want them to do. They'll stop doing this. They'll start doing that. And so you can move on. So if you try to get them to go there and they're not ready, that's why they're frustrated and you're frustrated. Because they're not broken. They're not in the place of conviction. They're only in the place of teaching. Okay? So I couldn't stress that enough. Let me flip the script now. 
And what I've done is I want to spend some time, I want to spend the last few minutes here talking about embracing God, and then we'll pick up in the fourth session uh, with all the homework and some other things I want to teach you. We got a lot of stuff to do, guys. I'm getting tired just thinking about it. (laughs) But I wanted to load you up before I leave. I want you to have enough to work with. Now, the next section is called Embracing God Homework, and I want to explain it, and then I want to teach you how to do this. So you've got some extra sheets in front of you um, so that we can walk it through. And I'm going to walk this through in a moment. But what I miss or don't give to you with the time I have, I also have instructions that you can use to walk this through yourself as well. So whatever we don't cover, you have the instructions on how to use this with you. But let me give you the definition of embracing God homework. And then I want to show you how to use this in a practical setting. Okay, if you don't have a copy, it should be in the back table there for you. Embracing God homework, projects, activities, and reading assignments given to help people to connect with God according to a particular characteristic of God that relates to their problem or sin. This is used to lead people into the correction and training stage. Now, after a person is convicted, this is one of the most, in my opinion, important homework assignments you will give someone when it's time to move into action, okay? Now, let's do a little theology for just a moment to understand the Embracing God homework. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, verse number 6. Hebrews 11, verse number 6. In your Bibles, as you look at Hebrews 11... Verse 6. Many of you could quote that for me. Without faith, it is impossible to what? For he who comes to him must believe that he, and that he's the reward of those that. Okay, now, here's what I want you to think about. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Then, the B part of the verse, he explains what this faith is indirectly. Without faith, it is impossible to please God for he who comes to him must believe that he what? That he exists, that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So indirectly, that's giving us a definition of what faith is, believing that he is and that those who seek him will be rewarded. Now, If we turn to Romans chapter 14 for just a moment, the B part of Romans 14, I believe it's the very last verse. Let's go there. He's talking about uh, personal preferences of life and that if you feel comfortable doing something by faith, wonderful. But if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you're in sin, that whole process, that Romans 14. Now, notice a particular part of it. Let's go to the very last verse here. He says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from, okay. So without faith, it's impossible to, okay. Now watch this. And whatever is not from faith is what? Now let's do a correlation between faith and sin for a moment. And this will help us to understand the theology behind the application of embracing God. If faith means that I believe that he is, and that he's a reward of those that diligently seek him, then sin is a theological problem in my life. So that means every time I commit sin, it's a theological issue. And what do I mean by that? Simply this. There's something about God I do not embrace or trust, which is why I commit this sin. Because if I truly believed and embraced this characteristic of God, this sin I would not practice. Let me prove it to you. I'm going to set you up, okay? I'm telling you now. I'm setting you up to where you can't resist what I'm about to say to you or you don't believe. See, I'm setting you up on purpose. How many of you believe that God is sovereign? See, I'm setting you up because if you tell me he's not, we're going to have a theological discussion, right? (laughs) How many of you believe that God is supreme? Okay. How many of you believe that God is sufficient? He is enough. So then why were you angry with your spouse yesterday? Why were you worrying about that particular issue in your life the other day? Why were you getting upset with your boss the other day? 
You had an intellectual assent, but you didn't trust what you know, which is why you sinned in that area. Did you catch what I just did? See, every time you sin, there's something about God you don't trust. Because let me ask you this. If you truly trust or embrace that God is sovereign, would you worry? If you truly embraced that God was first, would you get angry when people didn't put you first? If you truly embraced that God was sufficient, that he was enough, would you grumble and complain when you didn't get enough of something that you wanted? You see what I just did? I'm moving you from an intellectual awareness to the reality that your sin is a theological problem. There is something about God you may know intellectually, but you don't believe it practically, which is why you sin in that area. Embracing God homework says when a person is now convicted of their sin and they're ready to make changes, now we help them to embrace the characteristic of God that they've been lacking, which is why they've been walking in that particular sin. Does that make sense? So what happens to you and I is that we start matching sins to attributes of God, meaning this. Would a person sin if they truly embraced that God was an all-wise God? Would they sin in this area? Would a person sin if they truly embraced that God was holy? Okay? Let's take a person struggling with pornography. If they embraced the holiness of God, would they walk in pornography? If they embraced that God was enough, would they go beyond the boundaries that God set for sex if God was enough in their life? You see where I'm going. So when they embrace the sufficiency of God and the holiness of God, we wouldn't have pornography in that person's life because they have embraced. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say believe because that is a very tricky word because believe can mean intellectually understand or it can mean put my confidence in. Depends on who you're talking to. But embrace helps us to get the picture that is not just intellectually understanding these things about God, but it's connecting my life to this reality. So when it comes to this kind of assignment given to our counselees, we have to do some research to say, you know what? I believe that if they truly embrace this characteristic of God, they wouldn't walk in this particular sin. But I can't go there yet with them. I've got to first bring them to see that this is a sin and to see that they're in sin and that there's brokenness. When there's brokenness, now we can begin to embrace this characteristic of God because they're ready to embrace it and we'll see true change take place. For example, a person who worries is a person who worships what they want above the God who's in control. Okay? So when you worry, there's something you're consumed with losing. There's something you're consumed with not gaining. And worry is the sin that reveals your worship. So therefore, what characteristic of God that a person is worrying is not embracing? Can you tell me? His sovereignty or his sufficiency. So then how do we construct homework that leads this person beyond just an intellectual understanding of his sovereignty and sufficiency to a practical daily connecting to the sovereignty and sufficiency of God? And as we construct that kind of homework for the person, what do you think is going to happen to worry? They won't be sinless, but they will sin less. You see my picture? They won't be perfect, but they will start to be more consistent as God is perfecting them. And we'll see levels of worry begin to do this. Because their embracing of the characteristic of God, not just intellectual understanding, but embracing will do this. So when it comes to embracing God homework, it is helping us theologically understand that every sin in your life is because something about God you don't have faith in. Have I proved the point theologically? Now let's get practical. That's the theology. Now let's get to the practical side. So in order for us to understand how to embrace, let me walk you through this particular sheet. Does everybody have this in front of you? First, let me show you how to read it and understand it. Then we'll talk about how to apply it, okay? This is read from left to right, okay? This is read from left to right. Just wanted to get that out there. Now, 
Let's look at the top box. The top box talks about the characteristics of God to embrace. Then the next box talks about the perspective we should have as a result of embracing this characteristic. Then the third box talks about the practice we should develop as a result of embracing this characteristic. Then the fourth box talks about the patterns of relating we should walk in as a result of embracing this characteristic. Now, by the way, I wanted you to see these categories because each attribute, you're going to lead people to do this with each attribute. So if you look to the left, now, again, this isn't um, exhaustive. These are just a few. Uh, Supreme, sovereign, sufficient, holy, loving, wise, gracious, merciful, forgiving, faithful. You're going to take people... And again, I encourage you to add more and to develop more. But with this in front of you, you will take people to say, hmm, it seems like their issue here was the fact that they don't embrace that God is sovereign. Okay, so from left to right, I'm going to give them homework assignments within 15, 30 days, 7 days to learn how to embrace the sovereignty of God from left to right. And I'm going to show you in a moment how you would do that with an individual. Does that make sense? Because what we're saying is this, if your problem is a theological problem, then we're going to address it not generically, not just intellectually, but we're going to use all of what God gave us. We're going to embrace it with our minds, and we're going to embrace it with our mouth, and we're going to embrace it with our manner. You follow me? Not just here, but our whole life will embrace, which is what genuine worship of God is to where we sacrifice our bodies according to Romans 12 and we carry out and conduct and lifestyle the fact that we truly believe that God is holy. Well, how does that look in my life? What helps people see that I truly embrace the holiness of God or the sovereignty of God or the sufficiency of God? Other than my meditation on it, what else in my life reflects that I have embraced it? Our job as counselors is to lead people to this theological reality and to this theological practice that moves from just here to action. So let me pick one in particular. Uh, Let's look at sufficiency for a moment, okay? And let me give you a way of how we would use this chart. Now, by the way, if you're working with a counselee, you wouldn't give them all of this information that I'm giving you, okay? Can you imagine what would happen? You said, here, take this. Whoa, see, you, you're doing the homework. This is for you. This is the behind the scenes stuff. But for you, you're going to pick one and then you're going to begin as you believe that that is the characteristic they need to embrace because they're not ready for change. And you're going to walk them through an exercise to embrace. Okay. So let me show you what you would do. Let's, let's try sufficiency. Okay. Here's what you would tell the person. Notice there are four things that I want you to do. Step number one is this, and I tell them, I want you to do this simultaneously, simultaneously, meaning this is not one thing that you're going to do and then next week do something else and next week. No, no, no. You're going to do all of these things within the week. Does that make sense? So everything I'm about to share with you, they will do within an entire week. And then you say, great, let's do it for another seven days. Actually, what I try to do is to get people to do this for 30 days. Because I don't think a week is enough. Does that make sense? But the trial error, or trial and error is for a week to kind of get them set in. So, with that being said, let's look at sufficiency. Step one, again, all of this simultaneously. Step one is this. I want you to get an index card. And I want you to write the definition of sufficient on that index card. And what do we see here, guys, is the definition of sufficient. It says what? Ah, okay. So I want you to write that down. And then on the back of that index card, I want you to write out that particular verse, Psalm 145, 17 and 21. Not the reference. I want you to write it out. Now, what I want you to do with that index card, at least three times a day, no less. When you wake up in the morning... The first thing I want you to do, well, maybe the second thing after you use the restroom, whatever it is you do, okay? But sometime that morning, what I want you to do is to take that index card. And the first thing you do is I want you to read sufficient. God is enough and he's doing enough in relation to my life. And then I want you to read that verse. Whether you do it out loud or to yourself makes no difference to me. Whatever works for you. That's step one, 
So here's how many times I'd like you to do that every day for the next 30 days. I'd like you to do that in the morning. I'd like you to do that in the afternoon. I'd like you to do that in the evening. And all you do in the morning when you wake up, God is enough. He's doing enough for me. You read that verse. Before you have lunch, what are you going to do with that index card? You're going to read that definition and read that verse. Before you go to bed at night, what are you going to do with that index card? You're going to read that definition and do what? Read that verse. Okay. Now, what I'm doing with that person, I'm exercising Romans 12 now. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the... I'm exercising 2 Corinthians 5, taking every thought captive to the... I'm exercising Psalm 119.11, which says, Thy word have I, so that I might not... So now we're putting that to practice. They don't know that's what I'm doing. They just think there's some little dumb exercise that I got to memorize. They don't know that I'm getting them to apply scripture. Does that make sense? So I'm asking them morning, noon, and night to do that. That's step one. You with me so far? That's step one. All right, let's do this. It's time for our break.